welcome back to the wonderful world of genealogy, a Newcastle Family History Society podcast. The Newcastle Family History Society, located on a Wabakal land in Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia, provides support for those interested in family history. In the first podcast in this series, Marie and Ken Schilling proposed some golden rules to follow when starting out on the journey to record your family history. In this episode, Marie and Ken will offer some more great suggestions to aid you in your research. In this podcast, we are setting out to explore some local places you can visit to help develop your family story through a fictional case study. So, let's assume you have just found a great-grandfather. We'll call him James Brown. And in an interview with a distant cousin, you learn that James was born about 1892, and had lived somewhere in the Hunter Valley. One scenario you might follow would see you visiting your nearest library, historical society, or family history society, either in person or via the internet. They should be able to tell you of similar organisations located in the Hunter Valley and give you contact names and addresses. There are only a small number of towns in the Hunter region that have such organisations, so contacting them to ask if they have any information on a James Brown born about 1892 would be a worthwhile exercise. Assuming you live some distance from the Hunter Valley, allow time for the organisations to check their resources and if a reply is positive, offer to pay for research to be carried out on your behalf. However, if you live close enough, it could be an interesting day out in the valley to meet people in these societies face-to-face. Genealogical societies or family history groups usually hold a wealth of information, but as they are mainly staffed by volunteers, their opening hours are limited so check online if you are planning to visit. Having contacted some organisations via email with your request about James Brown, it was a little disappointing for you to receive two replies with no references to him found in their records and another response with only one doubtful connection. However, disappointment turned to joy with the response from a society in Singleton, indicating they had a primary source for James in their files. Time now for an explanatory tip. There are two types of records or sources you will encounter during your research, primary and secondary, and it is helpful to distinguish between the two. A general rule of thumb is that primary sources are those created at the time of the event and might include parish registers, wills, personal letters or diaries, while secondary sources are interpretations of events written much later, such as novels or stories in journals. As family historians, we should always try to prove events with primary sources where possible. Now, back to the hunt for James Brown. A visit to the Singleton Society was arranged to allow you access to James Brown's information. The document bearing James' signature 
was a legal land transaction showing he had bought the parcel of land named Smithsbrook from a Thomas Smith. So now you have a James Brown buying some farming land, the name and location of the property, the names of witnesses including a William Brown and a date, 1930. According to your cousin, your James did have a younger brother, William. So, maybe this was the right man? With a map at hand showing the location of the property, a drive some distance from the town was in order. Eventually, a gate bearing the property's name was seen with a track leading on down through paddocks to a modern house overlooking a small stream. With the thought, nothing ventured, nothing gained, in mind, a visit to the house was the next step. The worst that could happen would be for the owners to order you off their private property. But the exact opposite happened when the door was opened by a small, white-haired lady. After explaining your presence, Mary White, knee brown, offered typical country hospitality, tea and scones. Mary was James's daughter, and after morning tea, she produced a photo album with images of her family, all neatly named. She drew attention to a small, rather faded image of an elderly man, dressed in his Sunday best, white beard neatly trimmed, this was her father, James Brown. Mary kindly allowed an image of that photo to be taken. Before leaving, however, she had one more surprise for you, which involved a walk along a dirt track, past cows, seemingly annoyed at having their morning interrupted, down through some ancient fruit trees and around a bend to an old, now neglected house. This simple four-roomed house had once been the home James Brown had built for his family. Tears came to your eyes as you touched the worn step. How many of your possible relations had walked over that threshold? This insight into the life of James Brown was truly amazing, but one question remained. Is he your James? You needed that primary proof. So the New South Wales Births, Deaths and Marriage Index available on the internet was the place to seek some proof. Mary had mentioned Jane Someone was the mother of James Brown. So, entering James's name, year and place of birth and mother's first name into the index meant expectations were high. But no. Suddenly everything seemed to come to a halt with no birth, marriage or death registered for the supplied information. Was this to be one of those brick walls researchers warn people about? Taking the problem to your local family history society seemed to be a hopeful step. They suggested you write to both 
the main churches in Singleton, asking if their records show the baptism of a James Brown in or shortly after 1892, with mother being Jane Brown. You were rather doubtful, as you knew your James was a Methodist. So why would the Catholic or Anglican churches have any record of your James Brown? With a glimmer of hope, you sent off the two letters with a small donation enclosed and waited. The Church of England response was the first to arrive, but no record could be found. A few days later, a similar letter arrived from the Catholic Church. Understandably, you were very disappointed and put the information and image of James Brown away in a bottom drawer. A number of weeks passed, and one day a letter arrived bearing the name of the Singleton Catholic Church on the top corner of the envelope. You quickly tore open the envelope and read the brief letter. It appears the researcher had been carrying out some research for another client when the name Jane Brown caught her attention on the page she was looking at. Yes, a child with the name of James was baptised in 1892 with mother Jane Brown. Witnesses Thomas Smith and Catherine Ryan. But the father was Michael O'Mara, not Brown. Time to take James Brown out of the bottom drawer and start again. This time, heeding the advice to start with yourself and work systematically back generation by generation. Another tip. Drawing up a diagram of your family tree helps keep you on track with your research. It need only be a sketch at this stage, as information you have gathered may need to be altered if you find you are following a wrong lead. At the bottom of an A4 sheet of paper, write your name and birth date. Draw a short line up and sketch two boxes side by side, the left-hand box for your father's name and the right for your mother. Your grandparents would be the next generation placed higher up on your sheet of paper, with great-grandparents probably up near the top. It becomes easy to see each generation occupying its own line. When noting couples, it is usual to place male names on the left and female on the right. The basic abbreviations used to indicate events are B for births, BAP for baptisms, M for marriages, D for deaths, and BUR for burials. It is a good idea to get into the habit of adding names and dates on your family tree in pencil, and only using pen when you have positive evidence of an event. If you are drawing up your family tree on a computer, it is easy to add information in one colour and change to another colour for proven information. Having taken time to purchase some birth and death certificates for your grandparents, Thomas Brown and Joyce Williams, it seems more than likely that the singleton James Brown was your great-grandfather. The place was right and the time period was right. After revisiting the information you had on James Brown slash O'Mara, 
another visit to Singleton was planned. The first stop was at the town's war memorial on the off chance of finding James's name. Yes, the name James Brown was engraved on the memorial for the First World War. Your James would have been the right age for enlistment, so further research into the Australian War Memorial's holdings would be needed. The next stop was at the town library for any information they might hold on the local cemetery. Although they did not have a list of burials, they gave you the name and address of the local undertaker. With fingers crossed that they were not managing a funeral that day, the funeral parlour was located. After explaining your quest, the undertaker was most helpful producing his register of burials. Anxiously you watched the years roll by as he turned the pages, but then, registered in January 1953, was the burial of James Brown. The cemetery was only a short drive from the town, and with the coordinates from the undertaker, the grave was quickly located. The writing on the headstone was quite worn, but you could make out James's name, and further down were the words, and his children, Mary and Thomas. Your grandfather was a Thomas Brown. He and his wife, Joyce Williams, had five children, among whom was John, your father. So you have your father, John Brown, whose father was Thomas Brown, and in turn, his father was James Brown. Your ancestor's story was coming together nicely. Although this story is fictional, it is a combination of actual events either my wife or I have experienced in our searching and demonstrates how taking the first step of making contact with someone can sometimes produce such amazing results. Of course, with so many sites available today on the internet, you're able to carry out research without setting foot outside your front door. Basic birth, death and marriage information is readily available in index form for most areas, and knowing the relevant certificate number, you are able to purchase a copy of the certificate, or alternatively, contact a transcription agent who will transcribe all the information on the certificate for you. You just don't get the fancy bit of paper. The latter is a more cost-friendly option. Two such agents in New South Wales are Marilyn Rowan at www.transcriptions.com.au and Joy Murren, www.joymurren.com.au who offer transcriptions covering not only New South Wales and Victoria but also England, Wales, Scotland and New Zealand. There are four main international websites that you will probably tap into during the course of your research. Family Search, Ancestry, Find My Past and My Heritage, all of which hold an amazing amount of records, indexes and online family trees. Simply put one of their names into your preferred search engine and their homepage will come up. But bear in mind there may be a cost involved. Your local library might offer free access to one or two of these sites. 
However, it is important to remember that just because something is on the internet, it doesn't necessarily mean it is true. If you come across an online family tree that looks as though it might fit your family, treat it as a possible clue, which needs to be investigated and properly sourced. Simply adding it to your tree could send you in quite the wrong direction, which later would take you hours and hours to undo. Verification of information is critical. You will come across many indexes as you visit sites on the internet, but they are just that, indexes. The original source could very easily have more information. For example, an index for marriages might have the names of a couple and possibly a year or even place. But the original certificate may also show the names of all the parents, the father's occupations, witnesses' names and the celebrant who officiated at the ceremony. No matter how careful indexes might have been, errors will sometimes occur. So if in your research a question arises about information on an index located on one of the main websites, try searching on another of those main four genealogical sites and compare the information. No matter if you are researching in a library, interviewing a relative or searching on the internet, always keep in mind those two little words, hasten slowly. There are many internet sites you can use in searching for your family's history, but nothing really compares with meeting people who knew your ancestor or walking down the street where your grandfather once lived. The places to visit mentioned in this podcast have all been aimed at information gathering, but I would like to leave you with one last suggestion. Have you ever thought of visiting a local place that was special in some way to your ancestor? It may have been a local beach where your father proposed to your mother, or grandfather's favourite fishing spot where he asked that his ashes be scattered. These places may not give you definite information with a primary source, but they could give you so much more. Share these special places with your children or grandchildren. Maybe they could accompany you on a visit to a plant nursery to find that special rose that your grandmother loved so much and help you plant it in your own garden. What a wonderful way to keep your family's story alive. Thanks, Marie and Ken, for taking us into the life of the fictitious James Brown and highlighting what is possible by visiting the places where your ancestors lived, worked or were buried. There will be more tips and tricks in future Wonderful World of Genealogy episodes, so why not follow us on your preferred podcast service? And, of course, if you need help with your research, visit us at our library in Elder Street, Lambton. Details are on our website, www.nfhs.org.au. Thanks for listening to Newcastle Family History Society Podcasts. Mm-hmm.